You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is Doc G, and today we're going to explore the difference between confidence and arrogance with Felipe Mejia. I would never have called myself arrogant. In fact, growing up, I probably lacked confidence. I was the youngest of three boys, and I always looked up to my eldest brother, who was better looking and more athletic, or my middle brother, who was intelligent and musical. And then there was me, the youngest. In fact, I didn't have much confidence about anything except that this idea that I wanted to become a physician, a doctor. Now, that's pretty incredible if you think about it. I actually had a learning disability and had a lot of trouble learning how to read. It took me five years and multiple tutors to catch up with my peers, but eventually I did. And as I got better at academics, my confidence grew. And in fact, as I became an adult, I learned how to become confident in relationships, confident in business, confident in real estate, confident, but not overconfident. Confident but not arrogant. Felipe Mejia is a confident guy. All you have to do is listen to Bigger Pockets episode 329, and you know that he has skills. On the other hand, when he started his own podcast, he called it Real Estate Rookie, which is really a hat tip to this idea that we are all newbies sometimes. Felipe Mejia, welcome to the show. Doc, what a pleasure, an honor. I'm super excited about this show. Can't wait to dig in. I have to tell you, listening to that first Bigger Pockets episode you were on, I started cracking up when you started talking about how you met Brandon Turner. And I thought it was a hysterical story, but it just goes to show you, like when you are determined, good things happen to you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting because my wife reached out to Brandon Turner and told him that my birthday was coming up and that, you know, I didn't, she, she didn't know what to get me. She knows she didn't want to do just the regular, you know, a card and I don't know, some slippers or something, but she, she wanted to do something that would be memorable. And she reached out to Brandon through a DM on Instagram and said, Hey, my husband's birthday is coming up. It was May. And she was like, you know, I'd love to have 30 minutes of your time. It wasn't me. That was that was my wife. And it just so happened that Brandon's wife has the same birthday as me. So he replied just because of there was that simple little correlation. And he said, you know what? I, I can't do it on his birthday, but I will do it the day after. So yeah, that's exactly how that got set up. 
And people who don't know Brandon Turner, he is the real deal. He is the co-host of the Bigger Pockets podcast. He's been involved with Bigger Pockets forever. Just an amazing real estate guru. And he has a lot of people asking him for time. So the fact that you at that point, he had no idea who you were. The idea, the fact that you were able to eventually meet him and befriend him and now even possibly work with him is just, it's an amazing story. Yeah, Brendan's a great guy. It's uh, it's one of those I think situations where it, it, it the only thing that really popped out of the DM to him, and I'm surprised he even read it honestly. But I think the one thing that did pop out was like, oh, this guy has the same birthday as my wife, so he read on to the next sentence, right? Like it just led on from there. And and if, if it wasn't for that, I, I don't know that that it would have happened or not. But I thank God that it did. You know, it trajectoried me into being able to have a conversation with him and find out that he's just a regular guy, right? He's just a regular dude. He's an awesome guy. Loves the Lord. Has a great family. Lives in Hawaii. I mean, what better way to to live right now, right? So yeah, yeah, that was really, really great story. Very interesting. Yeah, it just goes to show you that luck favors the bold. In this case, the bold was your wife. (laughs) But luck favors those who are confident. So I'm going to start by asking you maybe the most difficult question of the podcast. What's the difference between confidence and arrogance? Is there a line? Yeah, I think that the difference between confidence and being arrogant is it's probably a very thin line. I think when you're confident, you make decisions whether you're fearful or not, but you make those decisions anyways. And I think when you're arrogant, you feel like you already know the outcome. As as someone who is now more confident than he was for the longest time, I feel like I would act arrogant to portray being confident. And I think that's the difference. I think when you're confident, you don't have to fake or portray anything. You just make decisions whether you are scared or not. But arrogant comes by acting as if you are confident. Yeah, you know, we talk about that kind of fake it till you make it, but that can backfire. Were you a confident kid, like growing up? Were you as confident? You appear like a really confident guy now in a good way. How were you as a child? Yeah, no, when I was a kid, man, so my parents got divorced when I was 11, going on to 12 years old, about 11 and a half. That's where I lost all my confidence. So I had my confidence rooted in my father. So growing up until about that age, I was very confident in sports and all these things. And it was because my dad had instilled confidence in me. And I think if it would have kept going through my teenage years, maybe I would have been able to branch off of my father and become confident as an adult. But I think because my father left around 11 and a half for us, I had lost my confidence in myself because I had no one, you know, patting me on the back, rooting me to play and, you know, things like that. So I, I, I kind of lost that confidence all the way, almost right up until college. And then I took another really big hit right after college. So, you know, during middle school and then high school and then college, I wasn't a confident guy. I was, I was, I was arrogant because I was trying to fake being confident, but I knew deep down inside, I wasn't a confident guy. Then after college, you know, my goal was to be a police officer. If you haven't heard my story on episode 329 of the Bigger Pocket Show, my goal was to be a police officer and that's what I was going to do. I mean, at the bottom of my heart, I thrived for that. I got through college in three years because I couldn't wait to be a police officer. I'm that kind of person. So I went through college. I took summer classes. I mean, I just grinded it out. And then when I graduated and I applied for the National Police Department, three days in, I was told, you know, we don't need you as a police officer. The gentleman, and, and I don't feel shy to say the story at all. The gentleman said, we have enough Latino police officers on the force. You can leave. Now, I took that with a grain of salt as the banter, as the, as the, you know, the training part, the get inside your head type of thing. So I showed up the next day anyways. And the guy said, hey, this is private property. You can't be here. Like, you're not part of this anymore. And that was like it. That's all I got. That, that was like a huge blow 
to my confidence, my ego, who I was. It was terrible. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. And especially today, facing what we're facing with what's happening in the world today, to have them say to you, you're Latino, you can't be here. I can imagine because you can change, right? If someone says, you're not good enough, you don't run fast enough, you can't carry something that's heavy enough, like I can work my head around that. If they say what you are isn't good enough, that's hard to deal with. It is. And let me tell you why it's hard. So remember, I grew up in Nashville, born and raised in the South. My eyes, to me personally, I never, like I knew I was Hispanic, but it, it wasn't that I realized it until people reminded me if that kind of makes sense. Like I didn't, I knew that I was Latino. I knew that I was Hispanic, real proud of my heritage and everything, but I never saw it that way. I just thought I was a regular person in society. And it always took people to remind me who I was. And in that moment, that police officer reminded me who I was in, 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 in a, for him, it was a negative, but for me, I ended up using it as a positive. He was like, you know, you, we have enough Latino officers. You can leave like, this isn't going to be for you. And in the moment that hurts so much, but growing up in the South, like it, that would randomly come up in instances, right? You know, I connect with your story. I want to back up a little bit. When you say that your mom and dad getting divorced and how that loss of the connection with your father will cause some of that lack of confidence. My father died when I was eight years old. And I know some of that sensitivity I had as a kid, some of that lack of confidence definitely stemmed from it. And I want to tie that a little bit to what you went through when you were denied this job of becoming a police officer. One thing about my father is when he died, I immediately lost confidence. But as I got older, it was almost like I faced the most worrisome thing and I came out the other side, right? My, one of my primary relationships, someone who's supposed to really loved me, died. And so a little kid, you think, oh, he didn't love me anymore. Of course he loved me. But after kind of getting through that as an adult, I realized, okay, I've lived through the worst of this. I managed it. I'm still here. I'm doing fine. And that caused my confidence to soar as opposed to the other way around. I'm wondering for you, was it the same thing with the police academy? It was like, okay, this was my dream. It got squashed. But now I've made it past that and I can do anything. Yeah. So it was kind of one of those things where the door slammed shut in my face. If you can imagine... I'm 21, 22 year old. I just graduated college. I have my whole life in front of me. I can't wait to do my dream job. I'm in the academy, boots on the ground, ready to rock and roll. Bam. The door is shut in my face. And I, 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 I know, and I could like see it. I know that I have two ways of going. Either I can go and drink or drugs or, or, or just fall into this misery. And, and in my mind, that was valid at the moment. Or... I could take this route of, okay, I'm going to, this only means that I now have a door to pick from that I want to open. So I can either accept this shut door as a shut door, or I can accept as now I'm free from this dream that I had to pursue what I think God has for me now. And it ended up being that I made the right decision to start pursuing real estate that if you know my story has always been in my background, I just never saw it. And I, I teach that to, to, to the people that I help that I'm like, look what's around you and, 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 and use that for your good. And what I mean by that, it was during, after I graduated high school, my mom gave me the only asset she had, which was a mobile home. And I rented that out while I was in college to have money. So I didn't have to work, but I could. 
And now I had my mortgage paid and I, I, I began to see the power of real estate, but my eyes were so focused on a certain goal that I didn't even see that in the moment. So after I left the police department, or let me read it, after I was told to leave, I kind of went, I, I did a couple little things here, Uber, Lyft, uh, started a business here and there, but I always saw real estate as the way to, now I can, so I had the option to pick anything that I wanted to do because real estate was kind of holding me up. I didn't have a mortgage to pay. I didn't have to take a job that I didn't like. I was able to pick and choose because I had another person paying my rent. And then I said, what if I do that over and over and over again? Mind blown. And then that's kind of where real estate started in my life. Tell me where your mind was at this point. Because I imagine coming off the police academy fiasco, you must have felt a loss of confidence, right? Like this one thing I really want, I can do this. And all of a sudden it's shoved in your face. No, you will not do this. How were you able to pick up and say, wait, I can do this real estate thing? Because a lot of people, the biggest hurdle to getting into real estate is most people aren't confident they can pull it off. Yeah. So for me, I got to tell the story or, or give the example of the, of the lot six mobile home where I was driving home from college and I'll never forget. I was looking to my right. So let's start from the beginning. I bought a Nissan car that is not the best vibe. And I'll, I'll tell you why in a minute. So I got this mobile home and it's, it's on my right hand side as I'm driving home two or three times from college because I went to college about a year or about a, a, an hour out. And I would drive home and I saw this mobile home and I felt in my spirit buy it. And I was like, no, no. And I just went home and then I did it two or three times. And then finally I gave in and I was like, all right, whatever. And I went to the front door, I knocked and I was like, hey, bud, this is going to be crazy. But are you selling your mobile home by chance? And he said, sure, give me 3000 and you can have it. I'm not a real estate investor. I'm a college kid. And I was like, okay. I saw a little glimpse of that with the mobile home that my mom gave me, the only asset she had for graduating high school. And I asked, I think I had a thousand bucks myself and I asked my mom for the other 2000. She said, yes, we bought the mobile home. And I was like, okay, God, now what? I was like, I'm a college kid. Now I got two places. I got to find tenants. What do I got to do? And the only thing that I could figure to do was to fix it, to rent it out. So I, that's what I started doing. I started fixing it. I moved my stuff into one room. I rented out the other mobile home completely to where it was paying itself off and giving me a little bit of cash flow and still very fearful. But this is where my confidence was growing because I saw these things. I, I took action in fear knowing and just not knowing that it was going to be okay, but I decided to take action anyways. So I started fixing it up because that's what I felt that I was supposed to do. I moved into one room. The rest of the house looked destroyed. And I'm talking about holes in the floor and everything. It's crazy. I was about to say, this was not necessarily looking back the greatest investment now that <laughs> your, your real estate mind of today looking back at it, right? Terrible investment. It gets better though, or it gets worse. It's now the beginning of May. School's about to be over. School's over May 12th. And if you remember back in 2010 or 11, 2010, I think it was, the, the Nashville May floods hit a day before my graduation and my mobile home, or I'm sorry, a day before I was supposed to end my sophomore year of college and my mobile home got destroyed in the floods. So not only is my whole investment gone, I know nothing about insurance. I know nothing about anything that was going on. And another huge blow to my confidence because my first investment property that I felt was in real estate just got destroyed, right? Interestingly enough, FEMA came around and I was, my mom pushed me to, to go and, and, and apply for some help. And I said, yeah, sure, I'll apply. The guy was like, did you live here? I was like, yeah, it's my address. The bills are in my name. You know, all my stuff's here. You can see my, my college books got destroyed. My laptop, everything is destroyed. And he was like, okay, thanks, bye. 
That was it. Never heard from him again. Anything. About a week and a half, close to two weeks later, the mortgage was due on the property. Whether it's destroyed or not, you got a mobile home there. They're either going to take it or you pay the lot fee. Now, luckily, the lot fee was like 400 bucks. I was going to see if my mom would float it. But I remember going to the mailbox that day and I, and I, and I went through my bills and I was like, oh, that's great. Not going to pay that. <laughs> and then I saw the government check. And I don't know if you've ever seen a government check, but it comes in like this big white <laughs> envelope with this huge stamp on it. And I was like, great. Now the government's after me for my property. You could have it, whatever. It's super scary. And I don't know if also in envelopes, you can see that little clear plasticky part. I don't know if, I'm sure your listeners know what I'm talking about, but if you have an envelope, it's got this little clear plasticky part when it comes in the government. And you can see on there, it says United States Treasury or something. I'm not sure. Anyway, so I started pulling the, 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 the check out because that's what it was. And I saw a three and a zero. And I was like, yes, $30. I can put in gas to get back to college. <laughs> As a college student, that's like lunch for a week. I can stretch that out. Kept going. $300. Started like, oh my gosh, I have the rent money. I'm freaking out. I'm like, thank God. And it's so funny, the rush of emotions that's happening right now, because as a college student, I remember just like, I don't know why I didn't just rip it out, but it was like, just, I don't know, pulled out a little bit more and I saw 3000 and that's where my heart sank. And uh, I started tearing up because that's what I had paid for the mobile home. If your listeners remember, that's what I paid. So I was like, wow, the government literally just gave me back the value of the property. What a blessing. Like now I can just junk the mobile home and I'm good. Like, oh, thank God, you know, real estate's forgiving, all these other things. Then I pulled it out and the check ended up being $30,000. Wow. And I remember my knees getting weak. I remember the intense rush of blood going everywhere. And I just kind of started like doing this motion here, shaking, and I didn't know what to do. And in my mind, I was like, well, what now? I like, I just started freaking out. I called my mom. She didn't answer. I called like everyone that I could. No one's answering. So I just kind of slowly started walking back to the mobile home just like shaking with this check in my hand. I mean, I've never seen 30 (laughs) grand before. What the heck? (laughs) All that to say at the end of the day, you know, I really felt like I should put that money back in the mobile home. So I fixed the mobile home. It's still in my family to this day. It's still renting, producing about a thousand bucks in cash flow from that original investment. And that was the confidence that I needed to continue in real estate. Yeah, uh, now I've never of, done that again. <laughs> I was about to say, one of your worst investments turned out to be one of your best investments like that for unforeseen circumstances. Exactly. And, and you know, it's, uh, it was definitely the confidence boost that I needed to realize that I can do this in real estate. And that's when I slowly started doing, started digging into books, started reading. I spent the next two years really honing in on what I was going to do after. But remember, this is still during college. So I didn't pursue real estate. I still wanted to be a police officer. It wasn't until after the police department did I remember what happened. And I said, I need to go back to that. That was a great confidence boost. And then I've just been doing that ever since. Chasing that high, if you will. You know, one thing I've noticed, because I've heard you tell a number of stories, is there are two consistent things you tend to bring up. One is your mother. So whenever you're telling stories, I tend to hear how big of a role your mother has played kind of as the backbone of some of your decisions. And the other is faith. I mean, I hear you say it very gently, but it was a blessing, et cetera. But it sounds to me like those two things also provided some of that strength to make these decisions. Yeah, 100%. My mom has been the backbone ever since my dad left. I've, I've seen my mom make really hard decisions to keep us afloat and some that I, I think maybe weren't even the most financially savvy. But I've seen my mom you know, for example, when my dad left in our Latin culture, usually the, the men bring home the money and the women, 
you know, uphold the house, you know, keep a clean house, raise kids, whatever the case may be. And when my dad left, my mom basically what she did was she invested her last, you know, five thousand bucks or ten thousand bucks she had and built three bedrooms in our basement to rent out to pay for our mortgage. So when I growing up, I never really was poor or whatever, however you want to define that. But we always felt if you can imagine a swimmer, the water always at our throat. And I never I never felt like I was going to drown, but there was always the reminder that I couldn't slip, if that makes any sense. And that's how we felt growing up. And that's, that's not a bad way to feel because I don't want to be drowning growing up, but, but it was a constant reminder. And I think my mom, instead of letting us drown when the divorce came, she gave us enough headroom to see and the water was always at our shoulders. And then faith comes in the same way. My mom always instilled the faith in us to, you know, she's always like, Hey, if, 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 if I can do it and you want to do it and God's there with us, we can do it. And, and it was always that little saying that would get me through like the scary moments in my life. And your mom wasn't afraid to get her hands dirty, right? Like she would, sounds like she really had amazing work ethic that has been important to you as you've built your empire. <laughs> Doc, you've definitely done your research on me. This is awesome. A uh, few people that have interviewed me have done their research this much. Yes. So my mom, so kudos to you. My mom <laughs> cleaned houses. She chose this profession because she wanted to be home when we were home after school and she wanted to work while we were in school. So that's when most people want to get their house cleaned while they're at work, right? No one wants to do it at seven o'clock when they're home. So they asked the cleaning lady to come in while they're at work. So what my mom did was she found this position and she would start cleaning houses while we were at work to keep us afloat. And then from there, she started picking up more, more gigs and, and, you know, construction sites. And she just, now she has this huge company of about 50 homes out in, you know, here in, in Brentwood, Tennessee, that, that, that she cleans for some pretty big players. Some of the, some of the bigger builders in Nashville have her clean their construction sites. And what's cool about that is after the home sells, my mom stays with the house. So the builder will say, Hey, here's the house. And here's the cleaning lady that's been cleaning it since it's been sticks. So obviously they want to keep her and you know, my mom has grown this massive portfolio of houses to clean. We joke that mom, you don't clean anymore. Now you have the ladies clean. So she's just out there making conversation, but she put me through college cash through that job. She put, you know, my brother and sister, same concept. My mom's been a hustler and she has shown us, you know, she has shown us that. There is a tendency for people like you who had parents who really scrapped their way into, for instance, paying for an education for them, that when those kids come out with their degree, the idea of going back to manual or physical labor is really the last thing on their mind. And so I'm seeing you, you had your college degree, you went to the police academy, it didn't work out. Was there any reticence to jump in and get your hands dirty, so to speak. I mean, real estate, especially in the beginning, you kind of got to be up in it, right? You got to get, you got to be willing to do some of the hard labor, especially if you want to turn a profit in the beginning. Was there any part of you that was like, I'm going backwards, I've got this college degree, and now I'm not even using it? Yeah, good question. So interestingly enough, after the police department, yep, you guessed it, I went back to construction sites to clean to make money. So I would go back and kind of work for my mom for a while, trying to figure out life and everything. And, you know, I went back with her to start cleaning construction sites. And I remember specifically one time where a gentleman, after I had left the site, went to my mom and told him, hey, didn't you tell us your son was in college for the last three years? What is he doing here? And she was like, he knows what he's doing. And what I was doing was I was trying to find the job 
that would pay me the most amount of money for the least amount of time. And a construction site would pay three to $400 to clean in two hours. I could do two or three of those a day and I could make six to $700 without having to be stuck for eight hours a day and still use the other half of my day to further my real estate education and what I wanted to do. So I knew I had to save the down payment for some real estate and I would listen to, I, this is crazy. I would literally listen to Brandon Turner's Bigger Pockets show for hours. And let me rephrase that, years, because that was in my ear while I was cleaning. And it sucked, doc. Let me tell you, I cried so many times on the construction site with a bachelor's degree. I have my own house by now. I'm out there cleaning a construction site in the hot, sweaty sun. My hands are still calloused. You can't fake that from these sites. But I knew that every two, $3,000 check a week, I was saving towards real estate. And I, after two or three years of that, you know, it was pretty simple to get into real estate. And it's interesting, if you guys go out and dig on YouTube, I actually did a video to get on the Bigger Pocket show where I'm cleaning a construction site, talking about my small two or three property portfolio because with Bigger Pockets, you have to do like a little interview or whatever to get on the show. And I did a video on the construction site working to get on that show. I was still working at that time. I've heard you describe that time when you were cleaning and working as your second degree because you were listening to all these podcasts and educating yourself. And it almost suggested that that education you received during that time was in some ways much more valuable than what you got from the classroom. Exactly. That was more hard knocks. That was more the streets teaching me, humbling me, saying, you know, you, if you want to do this, you got to start at the bottom and, and you don't have a rich uncle that's going to give you the money. You don't have you know, you got to do this on your own. And this is proof that anyone deserves and can do this if they put in the hard work to do it, right? If it, it, there's no, you know, barrier, if you, if you put in the work and you're willing to work for it, look, I don't, I'm not six, five, I'm never going to dunk a basketball. I'm not going to be the fastest man in the world. I'm never going to beat Usain Bolt. I'm like five, seven on a good day. And, you know, I'm brown in the South, I'm never going to get rich by any of those other things. But I think hard work beats talent, right? When talent doesn't want to work. And I decided that I was going to work my way into financial independence through real estate. And I knew that I was going to do that saving up the money. And, And that's what I did on the construction sites. And like I said, I gave myself a second education by throwing on some headphones, just having a clear vision of what I was doing. And you know, I can't tell you how many construction sites I've cleaned. I can't tell you, but I can tell you that the whole time I was there, I was somewhere else. I was listening to podcasts. I was taking in all the information that I could and I was just working. So I was getting paid to go to school, which was the school of hard knocks. I want to jump into this concept of financial independence in a moment, but before I do, did you ever get the imposter syndrome? I mean, you're sitting there cleaning construction sites working your one or two rentals, making a video for bigger pockets. I mean, was there any like, maybe I don't deserve to be here? Any, maybe I'm not good enough yet? Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. But again, this was one of more of those concepts where even in fear, I was just, you know, remembering what my mom always said, if you want this and I can do it and we have God on our side, it's going to happen. And that was the biggest thing for me. So I was like, I can do this. I can do this. Like I can, I, 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 it was one of those things that I'm going to work for and I'm not going to take no for an answer. You know, a lot of people come to me and they're like, well, the bank always tells me no. And I feel like it's because of fill in the blank for you. But, you know, I would go to the bank and the bank would say, no, we can't let you borrow money for that property because, okay, cool. I'm going to go fix that. 
So I fixed whatever that fill in the blank is for you. And then I would come back and they would say, well, we can't let you borrow money now because of, so I, I would eventually fix everything that they told me. I would not allow them the option to say no by fixing the things that they were telling me, Hey, you credit score, you don't have enough money, you haven't worked two years, you haven't worked two years as your own business, you know, you you don't have enough money in the bank right now. I mean, whatever the case may be, I would come back every three months. What now, Miss K? Miss K, what about now? And I think they gave me my second my next rental property because they didn't want me in their office anymore, honestly. <laughs> yeah, the persistence obviously is important, but you bring up a good point. I've heard you talk about this before, the importance of asking why when someone turns you down for something. And I think that's really key and maybe something that you stumbled with when you were looking at the police academy is the why didn't make a lot of sense. But when it came to real estate, you really could work through those whys and there was an endpoint. Doc, your show is underrated. You need to be having a hundred thousand downloads because <laughs> you do your research. This is great. I love what you're I'm learning from you to be a better podcast host. So my mistake was that I did not ask the police academy why. I accepted their no. And that'll be the last no I accept ever. I tell, my, I tell my story and I say that I failed at one thing in life and that was not asking why at the police department. The Metro Nashville Police Department asked me to leave because of my race and, or because of my race and I didn't ask why. And why are you doing this? Why? I didn't ask why. I will never ask that again. If someone says, fill in the blank, I'm going to say why. Hey, you, no, I'm sorry. We can't give you that loan. Awesome, but why? Well, and if I push somebody into a corner long enough, I'm going to get to the real reason. And eventually, it's impossible for them to say, well, it's your race or, well, it's my credit score. Cool. I can fix that. See you in three months. You don't have enough money. Bet. I'm going to go sell or whatever. Your debt to income is too high. Cool. I'm going to sell the car. and I'm going to make sure that I'm not. You're, whatever it is, I'm going to grind through it and I'm going to get my why and I'm going to go fix that why. And that's it. Yeah. One thing I've learned as I've gotten older is most people are smart enough or, and even are hardworking enough to be successful if they can get past that mental point of saying, okay, this is a problem. It's solvable. I now need to go and attack this problem and move to the next step. And I can't tell you even in my own life how many times I haven't broken it down into the solvable steps because I was too afraid to face them. That's exactly right. I feel like a lot of people might be scared of a certain thing, whether it's their, if, if we're talking about real estate, what if it's their credit score, not if money down, or, but they don't know that there's so many different avenues to get into real estate than just money. It's figuring out that why, looking at it in the face and fixing it and not blaming that on anybody else. No, it's not because my mom took out a credit card and messed up my credit. Well, then go fix it. No, you know, I don't have any savings because I had this issue. Go figure out how to get through that. Get a second job or or whatever the case may be. You know, flip properties or wholesale or 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 work on a construction site. Don't be scared to take the messy jobs. You know, it's so funny. I'm not gonna pressure my son. I have a two and a half year old, I love him to death. His name is Armando. I'm not gonna pressure Armando to go to college because the plumber will not get out of his truck for less than $80 just to get out of his truck at my, at my, at my rental properties. Now that is amazing to me. I mean, I don't, I haven't yet to have someone come work at my house for less than two fifty, and they're there an hour or two, right? Like the, like, don't be scared to learn something new because it can definitely pay off. Just a little while ago, you mentioned getting to financial independence through real estate. Where did you come up with this concept of financial independence? Where did you first hear about it and what does it mean to you? 
Sure. So I first heard about financial independence on Bigger Pockets. When you're on Bigger Pockets, there's a bunch of free stuff on their website. It's a great place to learn everything you want to do about real estate. There's this thing called like a premium membership or a pro membership where you get way more information. And once you join that part of it, you're, they're, they're going to really dig into the acronyms and like all these other things. And I was like, financial independence through real estate. Wait, what? I just thought like you're going to, you can get real estate and you get a little bit of cash flow and then boom. But once you get a little deeper than that, you're going to realize that there's tax incentives, that there's a loan pay down, cash flow, ghost income, loan appreciation, tax depreciation. There is so many things that are going to, that real estate helps you that I learned on Bigger Pockets. And not just that, there's a book that I love to read. It's called Life and Air, like the word millionaire, but with the word life in front of it. And that book really put it in perspective for me for what I wanted. At first, I was chasing money. And that was my goal. Felipe is going to chase money and I'm going to get as much of it as I can to be financially independent. But then I read that book called Life and Air. And that put me more on a path of life and air. Not, not millions of dollars, but be, be, mil, be rich in life. And I reached financial independence so much faster because of that book than anything else. Yeah, there are really, in my opinion, at least two ways to hit financial independence, right? There's the traditional method, which is work really hard, save as much as you can, hit a number, and then live off of that number and no longer work. And I think that's kind of the old school traditional look. Certainly, it was the way I made it to financial independence because I was so caught up in this idea of becoming a doctor and I happened to have good habits that I was just kind of fulfilling my life's dream to become a physician. I didn't think twice about it, but not everyone loves what they do for a living. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is... There's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor, and it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer-focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. There's another way to get towards financial independence. People call it passive income, but we all know that that's not a, not a really good term. But people like you who use 
cash flow through investments like real estate to pay their monthly needs, which allows you to lever either loans or skills in order to create regular cash flow. And that for you is what financial independence is, is cash flowing to the point where you can pay for your needs. Yeah, I think more than that though, Doc, I think the 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 cash flow gives me back the time. And that's what I'm looking for. So if I have, let's say I have two properties that I'm looking at, my resource or my bottom line to buy that property is not going to be, is it burring? Is it cash flowing? Is it the 1% rule? All these rules that are out there. I, I, it has to meet what my criteria is. But at the very last decision that I'm going to make, I look at myself in the mirror and I say, Felipe, does this property give you time or take time away? And if I have two properties, one cash flow is more than the other or the exact same or what have you, I'm going to buy the property that gives me back more of my time. So if it's going to take me five hours to run this property a month or and this one's going to take one hour, and I'm going to buy the one that takes one hour regardless. So my goal is to be time free as much as I can through cash flow producing properties. You're correct. But there's more than just cash flow. And I give a quick example. I bought my one of my first investments was actually a six unit apartment complex in Cookville, Tennessee. That was cash flowing fifteen hundred dollars, but taking up a whole lot of my time. I ended up selling that property, flipped a property at the same time, bought a house in Nashville, cash, and that property gives me about twenty five hundred dollars in cash flow because it's paid off, and that is what quickly got me to financial independence. I then put a line of credit on that property and invested that money into more cash flow producing properties that kept me at the same amount of invested time. So if I say, Felipe, I'm going to invest six hours a day, or I'm sorry, if I'm going to invest two or three hours a day in real estate and I buy a property that's going to up that to three, I don't take it. I want to be home every day by noon. Like by noon, I have to be home. So I need to be able to fit a hundred properties if that's the case into that. But if it doesn't, if it makes me go over that lunch break time, I'm not going to buy it. Yeah. One thing I've learned from my previous co-host, Paul Thompson, and from people also like Chad Carson, is this idea that if you do it correctly, your busiest years are the beginning years, even though you may be managing a heck of a lot more properties as time goes on because you really create systems that make you faster and better and more efficient. And a lot of the very successful real estate investors I know really don't spend nearly a 40-hour work week managing their real estate anymore. And yet they're bringing home what you would consider to be a 40-hour work week paycheck. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think, and that goes back to what I was telling you a minute ago. If you're chasing the money, you're not going to hire that virtual assistant. You're not going to hire that person that's helping you out because you're like, oh, well, I can do that too. And I can do that. And I can do that. And by the time you've created yourself a two or three more jobs, what you do is the moment you, this is a wisdom that I was given by my mentor. And he said, Felipe, the moment you can afford it, hire it out. And that's the concept. There's a difference, Doc, between rich and wealth. There is a big difference between rich and wealth. If you're rich, you may or may not have the time that comes with that. When you're wealthy, I believe that's when you have the time. And the mo- when, when, when my mentor said, Felipe, the moment you can afford it, hire it out, I realized that my mentor wasn't chasing money. He was chasing time. So even if he was back to zero, but someone else was managing that thing, it was great because now he had the mindset and the time to build the next fill in the blank, right? 
And that's even another one of those step up in confidence. It takes a certain amount of confidence to realize that you do not have to manage everything yourself, especially, again, a guy who's used to getting into the middle of it himself and fixing it, right? Yeah, that was really hard. You know, being the guy on the construction site, I learned a lot. You know, I figured out I'm not the one that has to be at every every showing or every fixing every little thing. I mean, it's interesting because me and my wife now have this app called Shipped that this is so weird to say out loud that gets us our groceries. Somebody goes and shops for our groceries and brings it to us because we realize that that's two hours or an hour of our day grocery shopping. And I was like, we could do so much else with that time. You know, for the longest time pre-COVID-19, we had somebody cook our meals and, and it was like, that helps another two or three hours of our time because now we don't have to cook, clean, wash, put the dishes back, whatever. And, and we started really living into this life of like, how do we get our time back? Now, you're not going to do that and sit on the couch, right? No, you're going to be doing something with that free time that generates more business, more cash flow. And then you hire that out and then you continue to do that. But like, are you resourceful spending an hour, an hour and a half cooking? Or could you be listening or educating yourself for that hour, hour and a half? And if you're honest with yourself, I'm not talking about having a chef at your house. I'm talking about a seven to $10 meal that someone else prepares that you can have sent to you. That's everywhere nowadays. You have, so this is how we do it. We have shipped that brings our food to us. We then have somebody that cooks our meals for seven to $8 a meal. And now, you know, we've bought back about three or four hours of our day daily. And that is real to me. That's wealth. And that doesn't cost me a million dollars. That cost me what I was going to, I pay, I pay, I think it's like 300 bucks for shipped a year. And that's all my groceries that I was going to pay for anyways, 300 bucks all day. And then $8 that I'm going to have that I can play with my son or I can read a book or whatever where someone else is cooking my meals, that frees up my wife to do what she needs to do as well. I use that same reasoning for why I didn't fully retire from medicine because I was able to decrease it down to just those things I enjoyed doing. And it provided me enough cash from doing that to pay for people to clean my house or someone to do my lawn or Again, those little things that I just didn't want to spend my time doing, I was much better served making a paycheck because I was able to take that part of work that I liked and get rid of everything else. What's really cool about that is don't forget that guy that cuts your grass feeds his kids with that money. That lady that cleans your house or that gentleman that cleans your house, yo, that could have been my mom that, 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 that just recently got divorced and needed that money, right? So we take it as a blessing as well to those people. It's like, yeah, absolutely. I don't need, I, I can bless you with this, right? And, and it's different than just saying, okay, well, here's 30 bucks, you know, go spend it on whatever. It's no, this person now earned this money and it's a great way to invest back into people's lives. Yeah, that's, a, that's a great way to look at it. I, I hadn't thought of it that way. And uh, that even adds more <laughs> to supporting my idea to do a little bit of work to pay for help right. doing some of these things that I'd rather have my time for. You could be doing, you could be helping a Felipe's mom. You, you don't know that. <laughs> You mentioned a little while ago, pre-COVID-19, the one thing I always worry about real estate is that it can be finicky to what's happening in the world today. And I know you do a lot of short-term rentals. I know you do a lot of Airbnb. Any troubles with the process you've built up and what's been happening in the world today? Yeah, good question, Doc. So actually, I pulled out of Airbnb, and actually, I haven't talked about this since I did about a year and a half ago. I actually stopped Airbnb about a year and a half ago. 
I went to more long-term rent by the room style investing. So all my properties were perfect for it because they were already suited for the Airbnb style. So I pulled out about a year and a half ago. I didn't take a hit on it. I do have friends that did take a hit, but it was only about a month and a half. Things have opened back up in their regard. So, you know, they've gotten back into it. But to me, I think real estate is, you know, it can go either way, but this is why if you educate yourself regarding real estate, right? You have, you know, money in reserve and you have things, you, you have finances for these type of situations. And do you diversify a little bit? Are you an index investor or do you have other investments outside of real estate? Yeah, good question. So I have real estate. I do have a small pot in just like regular stocks. And then I also have cryptocurrency that I invested in about five years ago. So that's doing very well. And then, yeah, no, that's it. So let's round this conversation out a little bit. Go back to that day that you're at the police academy and they tell you, no, we don't need you. You can go home. But pretend that you have the brain you have now with all that accrued experience. What do you think would have happened? I would have never even gone to college. I would have started investing in real estate the moment my mom got me out of high school. But the moment my mom gave me the only asset she had, which was a mobile home out of high school. I would have listened to my mom a long time ago. I probably would have been in a lot better position. So things happen maybe the way they were supposed to in the end. Yeah. Abs- oh my gosh. A hundred percent. You know, when I, when I talk to other people that I help out with real estate, I, I'm quick to tell them, you know, if, if in the moment something seems out of whack or something doesn't feel right, or, you know, follow that gut, that spirit, whatever you want to call it for yourself, because things are going to get better if you just keep pushing. If I would have stopped, remember I told you I had two roads. I could have gone down and got drunk and then just lost it all. Or I could have decided to, you know, lean back on what I know, which was work and real estate. And that's what, you know, made the difference. So I I tell people all the time, look, just because it looks bad right now doesn't mean that it's always going to be that way, right? Keep pushing and keep going through. It's, it, it gets better. A hundred percent. I feel like there are three main ingredients to pretty much any successful person. And that's mindset, skill, and luck. We're talking a lot about mindset is it enough? I mean, can you just mentally push through this and assume I'm going to be okay? Or do you've got to back it up? I mean, how, how much do skill and luck play, play a role? Yeah, good question. I, I think that an opportunity is going to come to those who have prepared for it. So you have to sharpen your skill for when that opportunity comes about. For example, I have great partnerships in real estate because I've sharpened my skill here in Nashville, Tennessee. And more than that, I've gotten down to a very like local level of my city. And anyone that wants to invest in my city here that knows me, they're dying to work with me because I have this little piece of the market just, just down tight. But it wasn't like that at all. At first, I couldn't find enough money to fund any of my deals. But now that I've sharpened my skill enough, you know, it's, it's, everyone wants to invest in me because of that. And I tell everyone that like, look, if if you don't have the money, then go be really good at at whatever you are. If you're good at Excel sheets or if you're good at, you know, this skill or that skill, just sharpen that to the best of your ability. Don't worry about your weaknesses. Sharpen your strengths the most that you can and leverage that to get you ahead. I'll tell you, Felipe, from knowing about you and listening to you, I was excited to have you on the podcast. One of the reasons I feel like people are willing to jump and invest with you, even sometimes maybe when they don't truly know you that well, is your confidence. Like 
when I listen to you, I get the sense that you may not know how to do something, but you sure as hell will figure it out. And that carries through yeah. the interactions I hear you. It carries through your podcast. And it sounds to me like it's a big part of your success. Absolutely. I think confidence is one of those things that you 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 work at, you grow on, and it comes from knowing the skill that you have and that you're confident in that skill. So sharpen your strengths already. Sharpen what you're already good at as much as you can, and you're going to confidently walk in that, right? And then, yeah, it's going to be hard. Yeah, things are going to come up that you're not used to. Yeah, things are going to hit you in the mouth. That That's life, and it's hard, and it sucks. But once you realize that it's okay and there's, it's going to be, it's going to, it's going to be okay on the other side of that. then it's fine. Look, nothing crushed me harder. And I mean, nothing crushed me harder. Not even when my dad left than when that officer told me that I had to leave because of the color of my skin. I mean, that was, that wasn't, that's probably the worst I've ever had. And like you said earlier, I got, I was able to get through that. And, and I was like, oh man, like there is nothing that no one's going to be able to say now that that's going to affect me as much as this. And I was okay after, right? So now, you know, a bank telling me, no, I can't get a loan. All right, cool. Why? Well, because of this. Okay, cool. I'll see you back in three, three weeks. I'm going to fix that. So nothing compares to that anymore. So what's the end game financially for Felipe Mejia? Like, is there a number of properties? Is there amount of cash flow? Like, where does it end? So in my podcast with Bigger Pockets, the real estate rookie, I always talk about this. Your goal is the number one reason that you are going to be successful or fail in real estate. And I say it like this. You're asking me, what's my end goal? My end goal is to have the most amount of cash flow with the least amount of rental properties as possible. That's going to allow me 100% of my time back. That is my formula. My son can explain that to you. I want the most amount of cash flow that I can squeeze out of the least amount of properties that's going to allow me all of my day back daily. And if that's creating systems to take care of them, whatever the case may be, that is my goal with real estate. It's not a cash flow number. It's not a number of units. It's all about the time that it's going to give me. So it can be one property or a thousand properties. It's irrelevant. I'm not here to see how big my head can get. It's all about my time back. Talk to us a little bit about the podcast. You're relatively new to the podcasting game. How did you get into this and how's it been so far? Yeah, the Real Estate Rookie Show with Bigger Pockets has been fantastic. I really do love it. It's a great opportunity. I think like you said, it's one of those things that I got probably because I'm confident and I'm I'm just natural. I love to talk to people. I'm an open guy. I'm open about my faith, I'm open about who I am, about my struggles, and I think a lot of people, you know, can resonate with that and they're like, "Oh, I get that." Like flip. Like I remember this or that or whatever the case may be. So I think I'm just an approachable guy. I'm a guy that can resonate with a lot of other people. And, and, and one of the things that makes a great podcast host, I believe, and I strive to do this is when you listen to understand someone versus listening to reply, I can tell a good host or a bad uh, you know, person that we're going to interview or whatever in the first couple minutes, if we're talking and they're just like, ready to, to say the next answer or whatever. And this goes for business and real estate. And this goes for everything. When you're talking to somebody and they're just like 30% of the time you're talking, they're just like waiting to reply. They didn't listen to you, right? And, and, and I think that goes, that's, how, that's even outside of podcasting. I mean, that goes into life in general. When you meet someone, listen to understand that person. You're going to get a lot farther than if you just listen to reply. So tell me what's up next in your life and where can people find you if they want to learn more? 
Absolutely. So you can definitely find me all over Bigger Pockets on the Real Estate Rookie Show. You can reach out to us there and you know, we can have tons of fun conversations. You can also find me on IG at Felipe Mejia, R-E-I. That's F-E-L-I-P-E-M-E-J-I-A-R-E-I. You can find me on there. It's where I love to post all my pictures about my real estate and everything that I do. Those are the two best places you can find me. I'll also be at the Bigger Pockets Conference 2020 in Louisiana if it still happens with COVID-19, but I think we'll be good by then. Well, Felipe Mejia, thank you for being on the show. I wanted to bring you on because I think you are that perfect mix of confidence without arrogance. And when you want to be successful in life, that's exactly what you want to do. The podcast is Real Estate Rookie. Thank you for being on. I'm Doc G. That's a wrap. Okay. I know I'm going to blow your mind here, but I'm 47 years old. That's right. I had a birthday last month. And it's funny because in a lot of ways, when I think about myself, I still see that 20-year-old kid. If you were to tell me back then how I would feel approaching 50 years old, it would blow my mind. I don't feel that old. I still feel like I'm in my 20s. And it's not surprising because a lot of the people I have on this podcast, a lot of the people I talk to about financial issues are young people. In fact, you just listened to Felipe Mejia. He's in his 20s. These are the kind of movers and shakers that are changing personal finance and real estate and changing our world. But not everyone thinks that way, and not everyone feels that way. It's notable that there are many people who decry the younger generation and say that they are quote-unquote lazy or not being prepared for the future. In fact, on our Facebook group page, that's facebook.com slash groups slash earn and invest, I recently put up a quote to discuss with the community from Mike Rowe. He said, we're churning out a generation of poorly educated people with no skill, no ambition, no guidance, and no realistic expectations of what it means to go to work. And I have to tell you, like, I get it that people feel this way, but that sounded a little harsh to me, and I was interested in what our community members thought about that. So I posted it up on the Facebook group, and here are some of the reactions. Abiola Akin Ajayi said, every generation said this about the next generation. The world will be fine. Seth Jones agreed. Glenn Haller said, but it's the horrible music these kids play these days, uh, which definitely made me laugh. And some, though, slightly agreed, such as Josh Biggio, who said, some truth, I think, quote unquote, poorly educated and lack of understanding of real work and its value, its dignity and the role it plays rings some truth. Brian Ufinger said, we work with 1,500 high schoolers a year, and there are definitely more temptations these days alongside generous grade inflation and other things like overtasked, distracted parents that make it easier to take the chill route. All of that said, we're blessed to work with some students who give us hope with the next generation and are stunningly conscientious and entrepreneurial and awesome. I'd like to concentrate on that last paragraph from Brian. We're blessed to work with some students who give us hope with the next generation are stunningly conscientious and entrepreneurial and awesome. That's what I've been seeing. As much as I'd love to say that my generation did or does it better, as much as I'd like to say that we walked uphill to school 
10 miles both ways. It's just not true. As I look at the generation, as I interview them for the Earn and Invest podcast, I see a group of people who are learning and changing and growing and making the world a better place. And they're doing things that I never dreamed of. They're using digital entrepreneurship to take control of their lives. And they're facing very difficult economic times. If we look back at the Great Recession in 2008 and 2009, and now this COVID pandemic and the recession we're suffering from, this group of young adults has not had an easy time at it. And yet, time and again, they come on the Earn and Invest podcast and tell us how they're innovating, tell us how they're mapping a course for their own future and relieving themselves of financial stress by making the right financial moves over and over again. Yes, it's clear. If you take any large group of people, there are going to be some that do it right and some that don't. There are going to be some that are successful and some that never make much of themselves. But if you ask me, I think our young people today are facing huge roadblocks and challenges and innovating. And I expect to see a lot of good from it. So I don't agree with Mike Rowe. I don't believe that we're bringing up children who aren't going to be ultimately successful in the future. I think our young people are proving that that's not true, that they can learn how to deal with digital technology and have it not overtake them. Yes, this next generation is going to be different from ours. Yes, they're going to be a different set of criteria, which they judge themselves about. There's going to be different rules, and they're going to have different strengths and weaknesses. But humans adapt. Sometimes those traits and characteristics that we see in the younger generation and don't believe that they're beneficial are not beneficial for us, but will be beneficial for them in the brave new future that they are facing. Maybe we're out of touch. Maybe they're learning and growing and changing. And maybe we, we, I mean people like me, us 47-year-olds, could learn something We could adapt better. We could learn faster. We could change what we believe is most important. And couldn't we all learn from that? Couldn't we all grow even at our age? That's what I think this community is. That's why I built the Earn and Invest podcast. So we could learn together, young and old, Baby boomers, Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z. We could continue this conversation and we could grow and learn from each other. Those of us who have already been through it, who have been working for decades, have wisdom. Those of us who are just starting their careers have energy and innovation. And when we come together, it's nothing short of magic. Thanks for listening to the Earn and Invest podcast, and I'll see you next time. Awesome, man. That was perfect. Dude, that was so good. You're really good at this. Holy cow. Thanks, man. I you love I love you. interviewing people. Really? That's I do. Amazing. You know what it is? Is I feel like everyone has this really unique story. Mm-hmm. And um, 
if you can find their story and have them tell it in their own words, it's really engaging. And so, like, I, I think everyone—I mean, I think you're just really good at this. Yeah. Yeah. I think people are heroes. So if we can find what makes someone a hero and get them to talk about it, it just—it's cool, right? That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And congratulations. I mean, it sounds like you're kicking ass with the podcast, man. I mean, Dude, I'm trying. you it's guys hard. are always right at the top of the rankings. I mean, that is no small feat. Even getting hired by bigger pockets is no small feat. So um, it was, it was a to you, process. Man. Yeah, we're trying. I love it, man. I love everyone I work with over there. Um, they're genuine. They're real. And uh, it's it's real, dude. They're not like like just pushing an agenda. I mean, they really want to get real estate information out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always got that feeling. I mean, I've known Mindy for a while. I've known Scott for a while. And, um, I, you know, I don't know Brandon or David Green or any of them, but, you know, I kind of know about the culture of the company and it sounds like they've done a really good job for a long time now. I mean, it's not a, it's not a new company, so to speak, you know, okay. isn't it crazy how like now when you listen to a podcast, you pick oh up on all gosh. that shit that you never even thought about, like when you were just listening never thought and now i'm like i can literally hear like if i turn this way i can hear different than when i turn this way and it's only because now i hear hundreds of podcasts all the times and you know take lessons from people that bigger pockets hires us to do and it's it just yeah it's crazy you know it also man, drives me sound is important you know what also drives me flipping crazy is i now That's notice how everyone talks from editing <laughs> Like I notice like people's strange speech patterns and when they like, you know how people like start sentences and then stop in the middle and then go in a different direction. It's like, I notice that now out in the world and I yeah. never did before. It drives me crazy. And you know, one last thing that drives me nuts is this thing. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. Tech moves fast, so keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts.